0: Hello, and welcome back to the third episode of Sociable, a podcast that puts you in the conversation. Through this podcast, we aim to discuss social norms, issues, and observations, all in a sociable manner. I'm your host, David.
1: And I'm your host, Edgar. Today, we're going to be discussing the importance of minority representation in politics, in STEM, and in social media and pop culture. Before we start this episode, we wanted to disclaim that we are both Asian and of the majority race in Hong Kong. We're clearly not representative of the views of everyone in Hong Kong or everyone of other demographics. This podcast is meant to be conversational, so please take everything we say with a grain of salt. So first, uh, let's just talk about what we think uh, What we think the world looks like right now in regards to minority representation as to whether there is enough of it. Uh, so David, what do you think?
0: Well, personally i think uh there's an obvious lack of minority representation worldwide right now even though there are definitely measures being taken to both mitigate its impacts and to better it in the status quo
1: yeah like i think it's gotten better in recent years as in more and more for example films are taking efforts to represent underrepresented groups for example like the oscars i think this was like a few years ago but the oscars set out a new set of standards that in order to be eligible for like Best picture, the film needs to be reasonably diverse. So I think like a certain percentage of the cast needs to be from an underrepresented group, or at least one person from an underrepresented group need- needs to be cast in a, like, a significant role. So I think those are the kinds of measures
0: that we're seeing more and more of in the status quo in order to represent uh, minorities. Yeah, no, in a similar vein, in 2020, when Moderna was doing trial and woman's for their coronavirus vaccine, around 24% of, or 25, something around a quarter, um, of the participants were from communities of color. And enrolling the elderly communities of color and people with underlying health conditions uh, became a priority for the trials because they're at a greater risk from the disease. And even public health experts noted that diver, uh, the inclusion of diverse groups is important to ensure the vaccine's efficacy in all areas of population but to be honest this might just be a more tokenistic approach to uh, minority representation which is something common that we see in many big companies which we'll touch upon later
1: so yeah so i think uh, there are there are a vocal uh, like portion of people that might not understand why minority representation is so like important like they might just say like why does it matter if there are people on the screen who don't or who do look like you so i think it's important to sort of delve into the actual effects that a lack of minority representation can have so i think the first effect is when you like when you are unable to see people similar to you uh in pop culture and when that's so ubiquitous you sort of internalize self-doubt Because obviously the worldview of people is just kind of informed by the media. It's informed by what they see around them. So when it's not normalized to see diversity at the top achieving level or at the level at which you see in your everyday life, you're going to subconsciously internalize uh, a sort of belief or a narrative that... Uh, you maybe can't achieve at such a high level. So that means you're unable to pursue those opportunities when they arise. You're going to sort of internalize and rationalize to yourself that you're not going to be able to reach as high
0: level as you want. I think the three issues that minority representation often perpetuates can be like summed up in like three topics, which is equity, security, and identity. Actually, before that, we should touch upon what cultural identity is because we're probably going to use that term a lot in the following podcast, but uh, as defined, it's established on the core values shared in a like living society, which includes language, uh, dressing style, like, uh, way of talking, habits, etc. So as I was saying, um, security, equity, and identity. To touch upon um, identity, because of the difference in social-cultural practices, history, and backgrounds... Like You often see minorities having to grapple with the issue of identity, and this in turn gives rise to the problem of adjusting to the majority community, which is a problem that we see very often in the world. This is kind of exacerbated by globalization, which in sociology refers to um, actually a bunch of things like the development of world ideologies, the intense struggle for the establishment of world order, the like, increase in influence of MNCs etc etc. This kind of sweeps away the traditions and cultures of different societies and affects changes in behaviors and thinking of people from different societies. This kind of results in a culture loss which becomes really impar- apparent in some communities where the main culture is weak and this kind of uh, results in the disappearance of their values as a culture and culture as a whole. But um, in contrast to this, it can, globalization can also be thought of as a way to learn and explore different cultures, and it presents us a chance to represent our own culture in front of the entire world. Um, nowadays, we see people from different societies living together in different cultures, like for example, Hong Kong is quite diverse. And so by seeing the surrounding culture uh, shown by the society, it gives a chance for others to adapt and adjust with their own cultural values and such.
1: Yeah. I think, aside from that, another like more tangible impact of lack of representation is just when there it is because uh, when there is like an underrepresented group, they're likely to also give rise to a limiting pool of talent. Meaning that because there is not much of a precedent for these minorities to appear in uh, at that level or within that sphere, there's going to be a higher barrier of entry. So there are much higher standards that are imposed upon these minorities if they want to break uh, through that ceiling and if they want to appear in those sorts of roles.
0: Okay, hey, so before when we were researching for this, you mentioned a TED Talk. You want to talk about it?
1: Yeah. So I watched this TED Talk a couple years ago and it really stuck with me. It's actually one of the most viewed TED Talks uh, like of all time so far. Um, it's by uh, this woman named sorry if i put you in this uh Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie uh, and it's about the danger of a single story so just to sum up like a few key points from it so uh so this woman she grew up in Nigeria and she enjoyed writing stories as a child and the thing is the stories that she tended to write reflected the books that she read so the books from American or British literature so as a result when she wrote stories as a child her characters were white, they were blonde haired, they ate apples, and they talked about the weather. Even though she herself had never been outside of Nigeria, she didn't eat apples and she never talked about the weather. So I think the like obvious conclusion from these kinds of anecdotes is that people, especially young impressionable children, are pretty easily influenced when they're only exposed to a single story of what the world is like of, or of what like literature is meant to be. People are more likely to express what they believe the world expects from them, or what they believe, like, the rules are, rather than their authentic selves. Um, like, another example, when I was a kid, like, my friends and I wrote short stories as well, like, for school, or just out of our own interest. And something that really struck me was that all of, like, like when I look back, all of our characters are also always, like, white, or they have blonde hair, or they have red hair. Oh, really? Or, yeah, or they lived in two-story houses, And they would go out and play on the street in a small and assumedly American town, just like the characters I read about. And at the time, I thought it was just pretty standard. I thought this was just like the standard for literature. But looking back, I think it's really peculiar how common of a trend this was. Because it wasn't even me. Like, um, like looking back on the kinds of short stories that maybe my friends would write as well, they would also kind of follow this trend of the characters having names like joe or bob or betty and i think that's very interesting to see how um perhaps subconsciously when we were kids we thought that this was the standard for literature and we thought that this is what a literature had to be
0: all right so i guess while it might not be as extreme like for example in korea believe it or not i also wrote short stories as a kid and some of my friends did as well but there were all, like, there were literally all of them were about kids studying until 10pm, 12pm. Obviously that's not, oh, 12am, obviously that's not as extreme as the example, but the point is that literature um, and writing topics can be so heavily influenced by the literature you're exposed to, which I guess is natural. Um, what some unis do, like, to mitigate this, is they offer, like, a literature of minorities course, and they have this so that you can fulfill like a human diversity requirement and you get this in like human rights majors or minors and this helps prepare students for like a diverse workplace and society that they will live in after so it's not the problem isn't as unaddressed as you might think but obviously it's still a problem that should be addressed probably
1: okay so i'm probably gonna regret this I'm hiding my screen from David right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, I found a story I wrote. This is an example of, uh, like, okay, this might be a bit off topic, but essentially, it's just like the kinds of things we write tend to reflect what we think literature expects from us. So, my character is called John. <laughs> uh, he wears red T-shirt and jeans. Uh. He casually grabs his bicycle and bikes to the park. Even though at that point in time, I lived in Beijing and nobody played in the park because the air pollution was too bad to actually do that. <laughs> um, he ate Frosties, which I'd never had before because I didn't eat cereal until Oops. very recently. Oh. He, his friends were called Bob and Ned and they played basketball. Oh.
0: <laughs> well, you don't even play basketball.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I thought... Yeah, like, it's, it's funny, but it's also kind of, I, I think it's also kind of interesting, uh, the sorts of trends that these tend to follow. But I think aside from literature, it's also important to talk about minority representation in, like, pop culture, because I think that's a far more divisive topic in terms of the kinds of representation that we're likely to see, whether... Can we talk about, wait, can okay. we talk about
0: film and television first? Because I feel like it's a better link. From... Yeah,
1: okay, sure, sure. All right. So what
0: Oh oh you want me to okay. Yeah. Okay, so films and television are I guess similar into literature in that they're a form of media, you can tell a story, whatever. But the thing is, similar to literature, often minority representation in films and media is lower than their share of like the population. For example, like the black share of the US population is thirteen point four percent. But black actors only pay play like 10 or 11 percent of leading film roles and they're often funneled to like race related projects and they receive lower investment and promotion so the kind of underrepresentation we see in literature often extends to film television and different forms of media too
1: yeah and also the kind of representation you're likely to see is often also problematic for example a lot of the times these actors are forced to fill roles that boil down to essentially stereotypes oh it's fine okay like a lot of the time these actors are forced to fill roles that boil down to essentially like stereotypes uh and also sometimes problematic stereotypes that are exacerbated with over the top accents like um like for example like Asian Americans uh, in American films are oftentimes cast in like quote-unquote nerdy roles like they're the hacker in a spy film or they're the nerd at school who carries books around and has no friends mm. and i think um you yeah yeah so no, i'm so just me. kidding <laughs> um and i think a lot of the times there are lots of interviews with these actors who also reveal that um at the beginning of their acting career the way they're forced to get by is to sort of play these over the top roles or they need to take them in order to like get connections in the film industry. And as they rise up the ranks and become more prominent in the film industry, they no longer need to take those kinds of roles. So I think what this essentially reveals is that oftentimes they're pushed into it uh, without their own... Like, not out of their own choice, but more because that's those are the only positions that are left for them to fill. Um, and I think that's... Yeah, I think that's also sort of demonstrative of the major problem of under-representation that we have in the film industry.
0: I think stereotypes in and of themselves aren't problematic. It's just when actors are locked into playing those stereotypes and aren't able to access, say, like, leading roles, then it becomes a problem that must be addressed. Like, for example, as an Asian, I don't feel it offensive if there's a high school student that's, like, a nerd that's being portrayed by an Asian. But I guess... It really becomes problematic when that is the sole role for Asians in films.
1: Yeah, like, I think I think the fact of the matter is, like, insofar as there are more and more stereotypes that are very ubiquitous, and it becomes impossible to escape from them, I think that does color how society is likely to view you. Like, it's just a movie now, but when every movie that has, like, an Asian character tends to put them in the same kind of role... I think by association, that does change the perception of society, and I think that is ultimately what leads to problems when people look at when people look at you and will associate you with other people that are similar to you that they've met before, um, and I think there, I think that's when you get sort of like these prejudiced notions uh, about minorities.
0: Mm. I mean, I guess, a lot of scripts kind of insist on like white characters for leading roles and non-white for supporting roles. So it's yeah. like, also kind of on the author of or like the writer of whatever script. Do oh you... yeah,
1: I also I also watched an interesting video about like the white savior trope. I think it was by Vox, mm. um, and it's about how a lot of films that focus on um, issues that disproportionately affect minorities, for example, like uh, films that are about the socioeconomic disparities um and like underfunded schools for african-american children uh like they oftentimes have a white savior or the main character is like a white woman who finds a greater purpose in teaching these poor underprivileged youth and i think that is also very problematic in its own way because aside from obviously um purporting to like bring greater representation when really doesn't because the film isn't really taking any risks by casting um the majority race in like the most significant roles but at the same time i think the narrative it sort of sends is also just kind of harmful the idea that minorities
0: need to be saved by someone of the majority population yeah you know i guess stepping away from minority representation but and looking at the broader picture for a second For things like um, gender representation in films and media too, you see like 26% of film writers being women and 20% of directors being women, so it's also kind of the fact that the industry is saturated with the majority and that is often what um, perpetuates that kind of lack of representation in media.
1: Yeah, so I think... Maybe moving away from film from, for a bit. Mm. Uh, let's talk about like why minority representation is important in the political sphere, because I think that I think this topic is both more intuitive and also less intuitive in terms of why representation might be important and the effects it's going to have on society. So um, I think one interesting statistic I found was like one of the main causes cited for the vote for Brexit in. The 2016 referendum in the UK was essentially that people were dissatisfied with the high rates of immigration. Like that was what was uh, said. But if you actually look at the statistics of in terms of who voted for and who voted uh, stay, I think the areas that voted most heavily for Brexit they tended to actually have relatively few immigrants, whereas the areas that were most exposed uh, and, and had the highest rates of immigration, like London. They tended to have high rates for uh, of support for remaining in the EU. So I think what this kind of goes to show, and what it helps reinforce, is the idea that like exposure, both via media and via real interpersonal connection, helps people realize that like other groups or other demographics are like them. They're human. They have needs. They have wants. Uh, they have families. And like if you personally know someone. Who's of a different race, of a different sexuality, ethnicity, or religion, or whatever, you're more likely to have a positive Im- impression of that group because uh, there are people that you like connect with uh, of that group. And on, on the other hand, for people in communities that are highly gated or highly divided among racial lines, there's less exposure and therefore less tolerance. And I think this does extend to what's likely to happen on a political level.
0: So, yeah. Um, I guess there are problems, but obviously those problems are trying to be addressed. Whether it's effective is questionable at best, but in a lot of political systems, you see seats being reserved for uh, minorities or people of specific genders to increase that, uh, their participation in that. And you see policies being implemented to increase minority uh, voter turnout at polls or elections or whatnot. But even despite that, there's still the underrepresentation of minority in political discussions and dialogue.
1: Yeah, like I think the I think the thing with this is like there are always going to be new policies pushed to change this, but these policies are often like reneged upon, where there's like backsliding of diversity. Even like if you look at statistics, it's not a steady rise of, for example, the seats that women occupy in. U.S. Congress, it's actually more like dips and falls. Um, so I think it's important to note that sometimes these things are more performative, and then as soon as they think that their constituents are satisfied with the level of diversity that they see, then they end up letting go of it, and it drops again. So I think in that case, it's important to reinstate. Uh, it's important to restate why representation and diversity are important on a political level uh for like three key reasons firstly i think it's just basic fairness right because the principle of democracy is to be representative of its people to be representative of like the populations that it serves but at the same time women still occupy less than a quarter of seats in us congress which is obviously problematic
0: but to be honest um democracy what it does is it represents the population like as you said But the fact is that minorities are minorities. So on the other hand, because that they are just inherently smaller number, you just see them being um, less represented in terms of numbers in the political setting.
1: Yeah, but even if you take that into account, they're still underrepresented in that regard. Like, even if... Okay, I don't know the exact numbers here, but it's the idea that even if they are numerically the minority... In high level settings, they are even less, they make up even less of those positions. And I think that is what substantially proves that they are disproportionately affected. Um, I think it also leads to like more, tr- uh, when there's more diversity and more representation, you get more trust between people and those that are politically empowered. And uh, thirdly, I think it's just like more civic engagement in terms of like more voting or more voter turnout because. Like studies show that young women do tend to become more politically active when they see other women that are partici- that are participating in visible campaigns. And I think there's a sort of uh, inspiring effect there.
0: All right. so before we talk about solutions, um, I just want to touch upon minority representation in STEM, in STEM workforce, in terms of like gender, uh, race, or ethnicity. Like right now, there is a gross underrepresentation of particularly Black and Hispanic workers. They not only occupy 11% of all STEM jobs, actually less, I think it's around 10%, compared to like the wide majority of like 67%, but also their income is just proportionally lower. And even though their share of STEM workers has gone up 1% since 2016, this still isn't even close to uh, their proportion in the population. Now, as we talked about before, the thing about diversity in the workforce, in this case the STEM workforce, is tied to like the representation in the STEM educational system, for example, universities, colleges. For example, black students earn 7% of STEM bachelor's degrees as of 2018, below their share of the adult population, which is 12%. Similarly, Hispanic college graduates with a STEM degree remains lower than that of all college graduates. Frankly, Asian and white students still remain overrepresented. I actually can't say the word, overrepresented, amongst STEM <laughs> college graduates compared to their share of college graduates in 2018. And so, what my ramble is trying to point out is the fact that we can't just introduce policy to better uh, participation in the workforce. The problem lies at a much more fundamental level, which is education, and I guess in turn you can say like socioeconomic status, which enables education.
1: Okay, so we know the problem is bad, and we know the effects it has, so what can we actually do to address this? And I think one of the more divisive policies that have been used to combat underrepresentation is affirmative action. So what this essentially is is substitutive diversity, as opposed to additive diversity. So it essentially substitutes some of the overrepresentation in education or in the film industry, and it substitutes that with, uh, like for example, quotas that are set that minorities are able to fill. For example, um, like the idea that universities need to have a certain percentage of their candidates that are considered to be people from those underrepresented groups. I think the reason why this is more divisive is pretty obvious because to people of that majority race or to people of that majority group it feels more threatening to them. It feels like they are directly being subtracted from because like realistically they are. Like realistically that will come at the opportunity cost that would have been given to them. And I think to us as uh, Asians who are uh, about to like who are about to start thinking about uni's And I think that is quite a present uh, issue for us because Asians are definitely... Because Asians are, like, statistically, they are overrepresented, Uh, for example, in the top universities. So in order to combat that, um, there are going to be higher standards that are set on um, Asians in the coming uh, few years. So I think there's sort of a conflict there, which is at this like we want more representation but at the same time for certain groups it is harder to come to grips with the kind of policies that are needed to be set out because it feels a bit scary you know
0: i guess in that way there's an opposition between um diverse uh i can't god I i can't talk today um diversity and also merit and achievement in university Alright, so should we wrap up the episode now? Or is there something you want to touch upon?
1: I think the flip side of substitutive diversity is... Wait, wait. Wouldn't it be more more natural for you to be like, there's also additive (laughs) diversity?
0: (laughs) Wow, so there's also additive diversity. Edgar, why don't you explain what that is? Yeah,
1: I I think I will explain what that is. So, whereas substitutive diversity is replacing the overrepresented with a certain proportion of the underrepresented additive diversity is trying to add more views to the overall uh, stage so that when you look at it when you look at the big picture on net you're going to get more representation of those uh, minority groups so i think the most um i think the example that's most like known to everyone uh are like films that specifically set out to tell the stories of people of color or films that set out to have like uh, casts that are entirely composed or majority composed of people of color. For example, like Hamilton, uh, which set out to have a very... Uh, to have a cast that was very highly proportion. Sorry, wait, I cannot speak today. Alright, <laughs> oh, just on. A cast that is largely composed of people of color. So, for example, um, like, even characters that were, like, Caucasian um, in real life, they would be represented by people of color and i think that's pretty cool um i think one of the complaints about hamilton was like it's not historically accurate but i didn't i never really thought that argument was very strong because like i don't think george washington was dancing around and singing songs either so i don't know why like that i don't know why wait sorry wait okay
0: okay let me oh. just offer my take on the Hamilton. Ch- thing. Ch- Ch- I I think no, we're not gonna oh. uh okay, so what was I gonna say? Alright, so about black actors um replacing the typical Caucasian actor in for example Hamilton. I think it's wrong to do it for the purpose of simply um minority representation, therefore this actor has to be black. I think it should be executed more of a manner that says like um it's open to both uh, Caucasian, Black, uh, actors of any ethnicity or race, rather than it being targeted at Black people for the sake of minority representation. Like, I think that's a problem with, for example, reserving seats in politics too. Obviously, it's a positive thing that has to be done, but you'd, minority representation shouldn't be executed with this, just for the sake of minority representation. Like, it's not just something you can introduce a policy and then it'll better itself. It's something that you have to gradually change over time.
1: I mean, but the thing is, like, we just discussed all the ways in which it negatively impacts minorities. And we know for a fact that there are implicit biases against minorities. Like, like for example, an African-American man with certain qualifications is significantly less likely to get the job as uh, someone with, like, a white name who has the exact same qualifications. Like, these were studies that were conducted. Like, employers are much more likely to accept you if you have a white name, as opposed to, like, a name that's associated uh, with, uh, like, uh, the African-American community. So I think if we know for a fact that subconscious biases exist, I don't think it's really feasible to just say, oh, just be less biased, just be more equal, because I don't think that's really reasonable. I think setting explicit tools is going to be one of the only ways to actually combat this if we choose not to think about race then we still end up succumbing to our inherent biases and like end up passing up qualified individuals but i think beyond that the world is largely like a who do you know kind of world where you get by via connections um and i think it is just sort of objectively true that A lot of the times, people tend to surround themselves with people that are similar to them. Like, I think, like cultural homophily, whatever, the opposite of uh, phobia, that word, whatever it is. So I think if if we don't explicitly lay out goals or quotas to put minorities in these positions, we end up perpetuating the same cycle that made those positions filled up by the majority race in the first place.
0: Yeah, I agree. No, like I was just pointing out that while you need policies to offset the biases that might extend uh like that might exist in people's minds, they have the inherent disadvantage of making it more unequal for other ethnicities. But honestly, I think by installing such a policy, it allows for people's perception of such minorities like to change over time and to better themselves. So in the long run it betters the issue as a whole so I guess we've already passed the 30 minute mark so I guess we should wrap up (laughs) yeah I think
1: in this episode we like pretty clearly agree on the problem there are some disagreements on like the kinds of policies or solutions that should be enacted and I think that's fair like there's always going to be disagreements uh, which is why we hope to hear your own thoughts or perhaps like anecdotes on the effect it might have had on you like subconsciously with all that said, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, it's longer than normal, obviously. And make sure to keep an eye out for the wrap-up and the response that uh, is going to be sent out very shortly after this goes up.
0: On our Instagram, which you can follow at sociable underscore official.
1: Is-, is it underscore dot?
0: It's literally, we have this conversation every time, it's underscore. Oh, okay, cool. Alright, Th- um, if you made it this far, um, thank you so much. We really appreciate you guys. Bye.